Welcome back again to How's the Bite? Ken Root with Bob Urban. Bob's at Murray's Tackle and Bait on the south end of Guttenberg under the big walleye. We have had good success with this show in the first four weeks. That's where we stand right now. And I think, Bob, it is really due to you, due to the reputation of the shop, and uh, the really good bunch of people who already know where to come to and have been talking to you since we started the show about how the fishing has been. But you have been a dynamo during this time, and I really say it's amazing to watch you. You had the big tent sale last weekend or last week, and now hopefully this week you either got a little rest or at least idled back a little bit, huh? Yeah, I wouldn't say, Ken, you've been a huge factor to this show as well. Um, Led me in the right direction here. Um, Got me out of my little box here in Guttenberg at the bait store. So I appreciate that first and foremost. Yes, we're busy. Um, Yes, we're always doing something. Tent sale went really well. Uh, The community supports us. Um, And I want to give hats off to Beth Murray as well, um, some of the stuff that she's done and in the business that she created over the years. But yes, something new we're doing with the podcast, lots of support um, and just a lot going on up here in Northeast Iowa that uh, some people might not know. Bob, the first thing is that the weather has been windy and it's gotten quite a bit cooler. Where do we stand on water temperature now? Oh, I haven't seen it like this in years, but we had a 50 degree water temp. We're kind of getting excited for uh, the bite. And then we had those three stretches uh, we had campers coming into the store, getting everything winterized for the year. Uh, those two or three nights in the 20s just dropped, brought uh, the water temperature down to, I think the lowest we had was about 44 degrees. Um, and then with this warm weather this weekend and everything's going to be back up, it's going to raise about six degrees. So fishing was, uh, the reports were slow. We just didn't get the sample size of guys in this week, earlier in the week. Very windy. Uh, people do not like wind. I was just, uh, talking to somebody about that the other day. The number one factor that will slow down fishing or a bait shop is wind. Um, they'll go out in the rain, they'll go out in the cold, they'll go out in the heat, but wind, uh, guys do not like that. And I think it's just about the boat control. Number one play for, for getting on fish is boat control. And, uh, if you don't have that, it's tough fishing and it can be frustrating. No doubt about it. It's a safety factor. And I'm glad people are paying attention to that. Um, You know, one of the things we talk about later on today with Lucas Dever is being safe out on the river. And uh, I was pretty impressed with this man from DNR. Uh, You recommended him. I think you've been friends with him for quite some time. He's concerned about people enjoying life, having a good time, but being realistic in everything they do. And one of them is being safe on the water. Yeah, Lucas is a a really good officer. Um, I would say you had a lot of older officers there um, for years, and then uh, we got some younger officers in. Lucas would have been one of those um, that came in in that stretch when some of the uh, older officers retired. Just a new generation of conservation officers that you're seeing, very down to earth, but then they understand what the resources are and what they're protecting and and the safety measures uh, with the very down-to-earth guy, along with all the ones uh, around in our area and in northeast Iowa. Luke is in charge of um, Jones, Jackson County, I believe, um, down in that area. But uh, I've known him for a while and has a lot of lot of good info for us in the podcast this week. 
We talked with one of your suppliers, it's Rocky's Flies and Jigs, and uh, Rocky's been at this for several years, and uh, he's got uh, quite a line of baits. Interesting how he got started, he told me all about it, but uh, now he's shifted over to a number of rigs for ice fishing or for crappie, and it sounds like uh, what he's doing is working. Yeah, Rocky's been in uh, in the business for a long time. Um, 40, 40 plus years now, I believe he's going on. And, and, uh, he was just in this morning stocking our shelves were his number one, uh, uh, display here for river walleye hair jigs and a lot of ice jigs that he carries. Um, again, Rocky is one of the, the original guys that you're not seeing guys get in this. We had uh, Widowmaker last week on the podcast. You don't see a lot of that younger crowd coming in, in the industry. Um, I would say it's kind of like a young farmer, unless it's passed down, it's hard to, uh, hard to just make a start in this business, um, unless it's kind of handed down to you. Rocky's one of those guys that's still hanging around, still doing it and, uh, loves fishing. So he comes up and delivers to us when he's fishing. Really good guy. Um, there's a lot of good guys in the industry. He's, he's top notch. He said that he has a, uh, twin ring. Um, do you have that in stock? And if so, how does it work? You know, we had, uh, we didn't, um, have them in stock. We package them up for the winter and bring them out. But I did take this morning. I took about six cards from them and we sold one already. Um, I would say it's like a little one eye. It's a micro one eye version, um, that we talked about the one eyes. Uh, I think we got another guy on the podcast today talking about one eyes. It's a lead lure, but I would call it a little, a micro one eye, one eye, a micro spoon. Um, that they use for vertical jigging panfish, uh, perch, bluegills, crappies uh, in the winter time. It's got a little kicker blade that it's a flipper blade on the micro spoon, and you just want to get that to kick over just a little bit. I always think it resembles a minnow scale or a minnow uh, a minnow fin, like when they're kind of swimming around and the fin opens up with that little Colorado blade that he puts on it. Um, and I think you just, I think you just want to get that to kick over. Uh, Rocky, I don't believe uses any bait. A lot of guys will put spikes or wax worms on them, um, uh, to get them to trigger a bite as well. Every week we've gotten a new perspective and we'll continue that with this week's show. And a little later on, we'll have you give us a fishing report. So we're looking forward to that. But one more thing, when with these cooler temperatures, are people going to start focusing on ice fishing? We've had it. Uh, when the temperatures get down and we've already had questions, hey, are you carrying this? When are you getting this out? We're a small enough store here that we do have to change over seasonally. So with us, it's a hard hard switch because walleye fishing goes right up into ice. We are getting stuff in. We just got a pallet in. Um, guys are talking about it already. So some people can actually just fish ice. Uh, they fish the hard water and they don't even open water fish, which is, which is hard to believe. But if you talk about those guys that may be the construction guys that get laid off in the winter, that have a lot of time off in the winter, seasonal type employees, a lot of those guys get out and start hitting the ice. A lot of those guys are getting excited um, for that to start. Usually uh, first ice up here is about, you can almost guarantee about December 10th, second season deer. Um, you got to make a decision whether you want to go out with your second season deer holders uh, 
uh, your party or if you want to go ice fishing. So usually about December 10th, but we have had it up till uh, as early as Thanksgiving a few years ago. I can remember going out the day before Thanksgiving. A lot of people are ready to go ice fishing, and uh, everybody, of course, is looking for a better lure. And we may have found a guy that has them. Rocky Salen has Rocky's uh, flies and jigs. Been in business, I understand, quite a while, based over in the Waterloo area. Rocky, how are you doing? Real good. How did you begin the process of uh, being a manufacturer of flies and lures? Well, back in 1982, I got laid off from John Deere. And I was going up to the Mississippi fishing quite often, and my wife thought I was spending a little bit too much money doing that. So I got thinking, I'm going to try to just sell a little bit of tackle some of the bait shops on the way up and back, kind of help pay for my trip, and started that way, and it started out slow, but it worked out good for me. You know, I've never heard a story like that before. Nobody that I know has ever been laid off from a company and need to get some other work, and have a wife who helped direct them and encourage them to do so. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you already do a pretty good job of tying flies or making jigs? Of What made you think you could do that as a business? I've uh, been up the river quite a bit, you know, fishing, and I always use my own lures that I made, and normally I was a... Uh, catching just as many fish as anybody else, and mine looked just as good as the ones they were selling. So I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And it started out pretty slow, but nowadays, jeepers, I have a hard time keeping up. Well, that's wonderful. And, of course, uh, 1982 makes you pretty senior in the industry, I would think, of, uh, let's see, 18 and 22. That's uh, 40 years? Yep. Wow. Well, congratulations on doing it for that long. Thank now you. we turn to the rest of us. How can we catch more fish with your lures? What type of uh, of fish do you like to go after? Is that the ones you made the lures for first? Uh, yes. Uh, I mainly go after crappie and walleye bow. Crappie fishing, both open water and ice fishing a lot. I've got ice fishing. I've got my own lure called a twin ring. Mm-hmm. that I uh, made myself, and uh, that's the only thing I use ice fishing anymore. I don't use any bait, and normally I can outfish 95% of the time. Uh, what's, what's so special about it? What do the fish like about it, do you think? Well, I think the action. It's got a what I call a flipper blade on it that, <laughs> you know, flip as it's going down, you know, as you're jigging it. A friend of mine, he used to use a different lure that's fairly similar, but I designed it a little different and really made a big difference. And even him told me, you got the right lure now. So I also do a lot of walleye fishing. I like walleye fishing also. Well, walleye are what I guess many people would pick as their number one fish. What type of lures or flies do you have that uh, seem to present well in the upper Mississippi? I mainly use a hair jig or a twister tail jig. 
I do sell a lot of spinner rigs and crawler rigs and stuff like that. And then I have actually uh, had times where I was catching fish on a MIP style. or It's not a MIPS, of course, but it looks kind of like a MIPS that I make. Do you ever go after northern or uh, even muskies? I have, but I I like to fight the northern muskie, but I uh, really prefer going after walleye and crappie. Just that's the ones that we personally like to chase after. I make and sell all different types of walleye jigs and murrays up in the Guttenberg. They sell the biggest selection of any bait shop they sell to. And I sell to about 25 different bait shops. So that's a place to look if you want an assortment of different uh, walleye jigs that I make. But I've got my own favorite colors, you know. But I found some days you can use anything to bite, and other days you got to, you know, cut your line, try a different color, and all of a sudden you might hit the right one, you know. But that's the difference between a. Uh... A random fisherman and a good fisherman, I think, is that the good fisherman uh, looks at other ways to get the attention of that fish, and they don't give up. Yep. And another big thing is uh, size. You can drop just an eighth of an inch on, or an eighth of an ounce on a jig, or sixteenth even, and make a big difference on how it's presented to the fish. Really? That's small. That's small a difference. Yep. Well, are you ready for ice fishing season to start? Oh, yeah. I, I love my ice fishing. <laughs> you don't work so hard, I, you can't fish, do you? Well, uh, this last couple of years, because of the virus problem, my business is over doubled, and I'm a one-man operation, and I haven't got the open water fish as much as I like, but in the winter, I'm not quite as busy, so... I do a lot more ice fishing. Isn't it amazing the shift that the public can make that either washes back on you profitably or denies you? Uh, There's a lot of things you can't control in this world and you can't predict. That's right. And I know that Bob speaks highly of your uh, lures, and uh, he's got a lot in that store, but I understand he's got a special area for yours. And they're from Rockies, Flies, and Jigs, based over in Waterloo. And I thank you for talking to us. Just hope everybody has a good time out there and a safe time out fishing. Rocky, thank you very much. You're welcome. You know, in this podcast, we've been trying our best to make it uh, such that it's informative uh, and interesting. And so... It was recommended to me to get a hold of Lucas Dever, who works for DNR, and even though he's not serving in our county up here at the Guttenberg area, Clayton County, he's a guy who can give us some ideas of uh, where DNR is coming from on some things. So, Lucas, first of all, I understand you've listened to our podcast and felt like it perhaps was worth giving 10 minutes to talk to us, huh? Oh, yeah. I've enjoyed it thoroughly, and... Always looking to learn something new or kind of be in the know, I guess. From the perspective of DNR and regulation, I believe that most fishermen want to do it right. 
but sometimes, you know, starting out fishermen don't know how, and sometimes people don't understand why your rules are there. So how do you respond to people who sometimes question what DNR's role is in their fishing experience? You know, I would tell people, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, we're we're the voice for natural resources, right? So so we're here to protect the, the, the animals and the fish, kind of the voice that they don't have. And we do that in a lot of ways. A couple of the ways, you know, we educate the public and, and in doing so, hope to gain compliance, right? So, you know, if I'm explaining to you why this rule is, is like this, hopefully for, so you will follow those rules and have a better understanding of why it may be. Do you work with your biologists to determine what's needed within a fishery, for example, and then codify that and bring it forward so that the public can fish or hunt, but at the same time, keep things in balance as much as you can. We have biologists. We have a lot of different bureaus within the DNR. So, you know, a lot of people know there's the conservation officers and there's the park rangers. Uh, we also have a wildlife bureau. These are the guys that are are managing our wildlife areas. They're the ones filling up our wetlands, kind of managing water levels on those. We have the Fisheries Bureau who does a multitude of things from anywhere from sampling the the river and our lakes to stocking. They may do some uh, drawdowns, a lot of different things. And so, you know, we are usually all talking together, uh, discussing things. If we see a problem, you know, we all voice our concerns and, you know, we make a plan on how to, you know, better educate and then uh, enforce, if we have to, uh, some of the laws there with that stuff. You know, in Guttenberg downtown, there is a uh, Lockmasters Museum. And uh, on the walls of it, and I've, you know, walk, walked around it and read it, not that I remember at all, but it shows that back even in the 19th century, there was uh, overfishing that really changed the populations in the river. But there were limits placed on fishing even 150 years ago. Does that surprise you? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, there's obviously a was a group of people way back when with our ancestors that recognized that, you know, is this something that can sustain uh, over harvest and the answer was probably no and that's why some of these laws have come to effect and I've got a great story I mean, you know my grandpa passed away 15 years ago probably and before he was a big walleye fisherman on the river he he was one of the guys that would troll wing dams for walleyes and he tells me about this spot by Sabula Iowa that he he caught walleyes every drop and and we didn't go home for quite a while that day and talked about it and I've never caught a fish there since. And it just kind of makes you think, like, did you out you fish out a hole kind of deal? You know what I mean? Um, it's just it's a it was an interesting story. You know that was like I said 20 years ago, and it it makes you think about some of those things. Well, do you think that peer pressure, not just regulatory rules, also should apply to keep fishermen keeping other fishermen? in line so that everybody could enjoy the the resource more. Oh, I I definitely agree with that. I think that 
fishermen should be policing uh, each other. And if they see something that they don't agree with, call an officer, call myself, call Jerry Farmer, you know, up in that area, Burt Walters, Nate Johnson, uh, Andrew Kyle, some of these guys on the river here, because we don't like seeing that stuff either. So you see guys pulling in, you know, snagged walleyes and throwing them in a live well. Well, that ain't right. You know, same with guys that are double dipping. We rely a lot on tips. And, and there's the tip program. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but uh, when we get a tip, we make a case on it. We nominate the caller. They stay completely anonymous. Um, and those checks have been anywhere from 200 to $800. And I know two years ago, I gave away over $2,000 of tip monies. So, I mean, that's been a great program for us and, and kind of just a, a way for us to say thanks to guys that are, you know, willing to do the right thing. Now, what happens on the other end of that? Do you go find uh, that designated person who has violated the law and uh, uh, see whether that they are guilty of that infraction? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll follow up with, we follow up with all of our tips. Um, you know, if I can get to those guys at the boat ramp or, or out on the water, I'll watch them for a while, see if they keep any other snag fish, look fish over in the live wells. You take a, uh, a one-eye hook to the gut, usually there's some markings left behind. Um, so, I mean, you, you look for snag marks, too, on fish. Have you ever wanted to walk over to somebody and say, you're in a heap of trouble, boy? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things I've probably wanted to say, but we try to remain professional. And, you know, it, it, there's always two sides to every story, too, right? So what you saw or somebody saw that called may not be what exactly happened, right? They caught the end of something. And you've probably been on uh, – you've fished with crankbaits before. You've had a had a crankbait kind of get spit out, and, and it ends on the ends up on the outside of their mouth because those things flop around, right? Um, when you take a picture of it in the boat, you've got a fish with a crankbait on the outside of its mouth, and people will be like, oh, he snagged that. Well – caught it in the mouth it just so happened once tension was taken off of it in the net or in the bottom of the boat it flopped around and that's where that hook ended up getting there you know what i mean what are the commercial fishermen's rules uh in general that would differ from people who are sport anglers well commercial fishermen can use hoop nets they can use uh fight nets they can use trammel nets there's a lot of different types of gear and it all just depends on what they're targeting and what time of year they're targeting it. Uh, you know, if they're targeting sturgeon, if they're targeting catfish, buffalo, uh, regular carp, um, you know, some of those different types of fish. It depends what the market is at that time of year and what the wants and needs are of the buyers as well. As a um, sports fisherman, should you stay out of their way? I mean, if you intersect with them, what's the best thing to do? There's always that common courtesy, right? You see some some nets. You 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 obviously don't want to get your um, motor wrapped up in a net, right? And, and they don't want your your motor ending up in the net because it's going to do damage to their equipment. Could do damage to your boat. Um, just kind of try and steer clear. Honestly, like most of their stuff is going to be set deep enough that you're probably not going to have to worry about it and you know, hitting it or anything like that. I just, I wouldn't be pulling up buoys that you find or markers uh, for commercial gear. Could we talk about safety for a minute? Because, uh, you know, at times 
we get a lot of boats out there, and we have uh, uh, what appears to be dangerous situations or people that drink and get lost to where they are and have erroneous <laughs> adventures. <laughs> uh, what do you say to those people? How do you think that the rest of us ought to deal with them? We pretty much know how you deal with them if you see them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're in your own boat, you're the captain of your boat, you're responsible for yourself. You can't control what other people are going to do, right? So so then you start looking at how can I prevent something bad from happening between me and this person? You know, keep your distance, you know, keep a watchful eye out best you can. Steer clear, have your life jackets on, you know, life jackets float, you don't. They do save lives. I haven't heard of anybody drowning with a life jacket on. So, you know, maybe hypothermia hypothermia but not drowning you know so there's some options there as far as the alcohol goes and save it for after your your boating or fishing trip try and ha- enjoy your yourself without that kind of stuff what is the legal limit now of uh, being a boat driver and alcohol consumption so it's just like a car it's it's 0.08 for everybody that's that's a little different as far as how many beers it may be 0.08 i think we all know what our limits are um and if you're if you're buzzed you're probably over Lucas could you give me your maybe one pet peeve or one request of the public of something that you feel they really should be doing that you see people violating today I would tell you that downloading on your phone or picking up a, a fishing regs book and just thumbing through it whether whether it's at home and you've got a little downtime or uh, on break at work, heck, even while you're out fishing maybe, depending on what you're fishing for, if it's slow. Uh, but thumb through the regs books. You know, you might learn something there. The other thing, like like I said before, we rely on people calling us and, and giving us tips. And, you know, somebody may be doing something at 5 a.m. or 9 p.m. I'm not around at that time. You know, so make us aware of some of these things going on. There's no tip too big or too small. What's the phone number? Uh, every conservation officer's phone number is listed in the back of the regs book. You can make a, a tip online as well. That stays anonymous, like I said. Or you can make the phone call, which is 1-800-532-2020 for the tip hotline. All right. Well, Lucas Dever with DNR of Iowa, we sure appreciate you talking with us. And uh, I think most people want to follow the rules. People want to be good sports. And uh, I think that uh, your rules are there for a reason. You might argue them a bit, but, uh, hey, that's not for today. And uh, we appreciate the job that you and all of your cohorts do each year to keep us safe and take care of our fisheries. Thank you for having me. Hi, Bob Urban here with Murray's Bait and Tackle. I'm here with a fisherman that had a pretty good report here this last week. Wanted to give a little bit of a fishing report. Uh, Bill Chatama uh, from the Cedar Rapids area has a cabin up in Clayton and has been fishing. Bill, how have we been doing fishing? Very good. Uh, we had a good weekend last weekend. We went out uh, crappie fishing and, and that wasn't so good. So I decided to uh, switch to walleye and see uh, how that would be, and uh, it was later in the day, and went out and used some uh, 
some one eyes and uh boy i got some nice walleyes uh one of them was about 27 i caught a couple 24s a couple 22s and uh you know you gotta put those back but uh still they're fun to catch and uh so it was a good day yeah and the slot on on the river is released 20 to 27 correct yes that's that's correct and and uh so but they were still it's it's just fun to catch i mean you you see those things in the water and and they're just fun and uh so yeah it was a good day a good couple days last weekend and it's just one of those days and you're you're kind of a crappie guy you come into the store you're usually fishing for panfish or crappie um, not an avid walleye guy, would you say? Would you were you out fishing for them or just kind of trying it out? No, I'm I'm kind of uh, starting to learn walleye fishing and stuff, and so but I I've kind of been weaned on the the crappies and the bluegills, and so that's what we usually go out for and have fun, and uh, you know. So, but now I think I might try some more walleyes. Yeah, and that lure you're talking about a one eye. Guys come in and they'll they'll looking at stuff around in the store here, and they're talking about this one eye and it's it's uh, it's developed here on the river. Um, it's a really really old lure. Did you know what it was when you were using it or? Well, it is an old lure because we used to. I, it looks like an old Erie Deary that I used to use, uh, and uh, and I, I was just told by a friend of mine. He goes, I had good luck with one so. You know, you just come in and you buy it and you try it, and it was a good day. Yeah, the, just this morning I think we sold, oh, I'd say about 30 of them because a lot of the times you get them in the rocks, they've got two treble hooks, and and uh, you're going to lose several of them while you're fishing them. I did. I yeah. lost a couple. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's fishing, though. So you lose, you lose them, and you just come down here and see Bob and buy more. <laughs> yeah, we do like that. Uh, we have a lot of different uh, different brands, different selection of the one eyes, uh, blade baits, stuff like that. Um, a lot of different, a lot of different colors. Did you have a favorite color on what that was? That one eye that you were using? Do you even remember? The first one I got hit on was a, a purple. It was kind of a purple, and then, and then, and so then I went to a smaller one, and that was a, a green, light green, and it hit on that, and then. That fish took it so far down, I just uh, kind of bit the hook. And then I used an orange one, and I caught a couple more on the orange. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. So it might be more of the action on that. Uh, did you tip it with a minnow at all? No. Didn't tip it with anything. Okay. So catfish on it, too. Yeah, the flathead guys like them. They'll use them. Uh, the hooks we put on them are 20-pound snap rings, or 15-pound snap rings, so they're not... Not anything crazy, so they so a lot of the flathead guys will change the hooks on them. But this lure, the one eye, we have them in our company, my wholesale company, Stickum Tackle, um, at the tent sale this weekend. We have them three for five. Tent sale is October 13th through the 16th. Three for five on one eyes, bucktails, blade baits, pretty much anything you need for walleye. It was awesome to talk to Bill today, uh, just to see. Um, how he's doing on fishing when guys say they did phenomenal i would say what was it six or seven fish over 20 did you say 
Yeah, yeah, they were. There was six. Uh, there was seven. There was seven over, over twenty. So yeah, yeah seven slot fish uh, over twenty, and I'm not saying anything to Bill. He's just getting used to this walleye fishing. But that is that's pretty good. That's that's what got me into it. Uh, three fish over twenty one day when I was a younger lad, and and that's sometimes all it takes. It's it's a rush when you get those. So. Thanks, Bill, for uh, stopping in, getting some bait, and getting some one-eyes. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Well, now let's go back to Bob at the bait shop in Guttenberg. You can find anything you need at Murray's on the south end of town under the big walleye. Bob, what's the latest on the fishing report from the Mississippi River? Fishing report, Ken, we were talking about the changes in water temp and in the wind. Didn't get a lot of uh, guys in telling us what's going on because there simply wasn't a lot of folks at the beginning of the week. But what happened after those temperatures kind of situated? Uh, we went from 50 degrees down to 45 degrees. I think it took a day or two for those fish to acclimate to that water temperature. Guys are getting out. Uh, yesterday was a really good sauger, good walleye bite. Um, be careful when you go up to the dam. There are keep out areas there. Um, and they are ticketing uh, folks that are going uh, too close to the dam. So I did want to put that in the fishing report, make sure that we are uh, obeying all the laws, and that's obviously for safety reasons up there when you get in the tailwaters of the Mississippi, uh, that they do want you back. Um, although those fish are up there, uh, you can cast to them. They're casting jigs, casting that, different stuff, hair jigs, blade baits. Uh, shad are also dying off, so there's a good shad bite on that stuff. Uh, crappies are starting to group up. Finally, the guys are finding a few more crappies in areas. Um, just got a picture sent to me today, Friday about noon, um, uh, 30 or so, uh, 11 to 13 inch crappies, uh, guy just caught. So that bite's going and then the perch bite is still going. Uh, it slowed down quite a bit with the wind and trying to find them in the weeds. The weeds are dying off. So, um, docks, when the weeds aren't there and the weeds start dying off, I would go into the docks, start casting and shooting under docks for crappies and perch, um, Catfish bite, not much going there. Smallmouth bite, guys are catching largemouth, smallmouth, but it will start coming to an end in the in the mid mid 40s there. So, looks like we're going to warm up this weekend. So it should be a good weekend. We're here at the store Friday right now, and it is busy. There is the number of boats that came through this morning is probably one of the one of the busiest mornings we had for the walleye season. So. Everything else should look good. We'll be back probably above 50-degree water temps again, and, and we will know more next week on the report. All right, Bob. Thank you very much. One last thing. The Mississippi River all the way down to New Orleans is very low. Now, we feed the water down to them. So does the Missouri coming in. Are you seeing the low water having an impact on any type of fishing, good or bad? So what we are, I'm glad you asked that question, Ken, and I'll tell you as a fisherman we are. We're seeing some of these crappies just talk to a guy that's, they're on wing dams. They're out in really strong current right now because that's kind of where they got to be. Some of the spots that we're fishing for these panfish two years ago, last year was a little lower, um, they're just not there. They're like, where are they at? Where are they at? Well, those fish are moving to 
bait sources and areas where there's more oxygen and getting prepped for the winter where they're going to winter. Um, so they aren't going to be in that one foot of water or two foot of water where they could possibly get trapped. Um, what we're also noticing is barge traffic has slowed. Like you mentioned down south, uh, the barges aren't coming up and down like they are. So what does that, and I never realized this until a few years ago, but what makes the muddy Mississippi muddy, uh, to be honest with you, is a lot of the barges that are going up and down, up and down. So when that water clears, um, and it's clearing up right now, it's shallow, uh, low light activities for walleyes and saugers are key. So there are guys fishing a lot in the morning. They're saying that when the sun comes out, the bite isn't as great. Uh, that is water quality and water clarity that is usually doing that. They will start fishing at night, too. Some guys are out there night fishing and, and triggering our bite uh, on that shad bite that's that's going on. A lot of bait fish out there, and, and the water clarity with the barges not going up and down the river um, and the lower uh, water levels is what's causing uh, some of those fish not to bite. Uh, midday with the sun being out so that's one of the things that I've noticed and heard other than other than just being careful on those wing dams and being careful uh, with the shallow water areas sandbars etc. That's our report for the week we thank you for listening and hope you get a chance to make a pilgrimage to Murray's Tackle and Bait in Guttenberg. Tell Bob you heard this podcast and he'll light up. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast you'll be notified each time we put out a new one. We appreciate you telling your friends who fish about what we're doing. For Bob Urban, owner of Murray's Bait and Tackle, I'm Ken Root. Enjoy the river, be safe, and drink in this beautiful place where we live and fish. Another episode of How's the Bite will be out next Friday. Unless Hank Williams Jr. is right. The preacher man says it's the end of time And the Mississippi River, she's a gold drive is up and the stock market's down and you only get mugged if you go downtown I live back in the woods you see a woman and the kids and the dogs and me I got a shotgun a rifle and a four-wheel drive and a country boy can survive Country folks can survive I can plow a field all day long I can catch catfish from dusk till dawn Make our own whiskey and our own smoke too Ain't too many things these old boys can't do Country folks can survive We can skin a buck and run a trot line And a country boy can survive Country folks can survive